Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. Uh, I am Kyle Krieger. This evening, I am once again joined by my co-host, Wilkie Law. Will, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It's uh, it's good to have you back after uh, you diving so deep into your doctoral program. And yeah, we, yeah, it's good to be back. And we are so thrilled to have Heather Planchon on the podcast tonight. Heather, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Good, really good. Doing wonderful. Um, awesome. Love to hear that. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm in Wisconsin where I have uh, three more work days left, but I don't have any more students. And, oh, that's nice. And Wilkie, you're done, right? Yes. Friday was my last day. A little bittersweetness, but. It was my last day. No, don't worry, guys, because I'll be in school until June 22nd, so I've got you covered. Oh, Oh, no. Yeah, so we go till June 21st with the kids, and then June 22nd is a teacher day, so. Did you start in October? like that up here in the Northeast. Oh, yeah. Where exactly in the Northeast are you? In Boston. Oh, man. Yeah. That sounds super fun. So do you start, like, the middle of September? So we start um, after Labor Day, so beginning of September. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's not too bad. I mean, when everyone goes back in August, I'll still be on the beach and hanging out at Florida. At the moment, it's brutal. Right, right. <laughs> I can imagine. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, Wilkie, why don't you go ahead, Will, and just kind of describe for Heather what the purpose of the podcast and what we're uh, what we're striving to do with it is. Well, you know, when we, when we first came up with the idea, we, we just knew that there was not a lot of voices for educators being put out to the masses. Uh, and a lot of the press that we were getting were negative press, with people trying to, you know, devalue what uh, our craft is really intended to be. So we decided, well, Kyle actually was his brainchild and said, hey, we should start doing this and talking about what's going on. And then it just kind of morphed into this kind of a spotlight of, teachers talking about what brought them into the craft, what, you know, what keeps them here, and helping motivate other teachers and um, other stakeholders as, as a whole to realize that the value is really in education, that we, we, we do have value as educators in this thing. So that's the purpose of what we're doing. I love that because I feel like so, so often you hear about all the negatives, just like you said, but there's so much happening behind the scenes that's so positive. So it's great to get voices out there. Yeah, yeah, and and with that being said, could you tell us just a you know a little bit of your backstory and uh, how you became a teacher? Yeah, so um, I live in a small town in Connecticut, um, and in high school we had this like you could do um, virtual high school classes. So instead of doing a course that was offered at the school, you could do an elective online. And so I took one that was. Um, kindergarten teaching and I got to create lesson plans and I went one day a week into a classroom um, and I sort of just fell in love and then um, coming from there so I actually was in the classroom next door to my kindergarten teacher um, so that was really cool and then um, I ended up doing a senior project where I volunteered in kindergarten first and second grade working with literacy and I sort of just fell in love with it. Um, and, and from there, I knew that's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, and then I went to Boston College and studied education there. And 
I did my student teaching at a local school that has a partnership with BC. So I actually ended up getting the job there after student teaching and um, working through a master's program at night and getting my master's degree from BC as well. And I've been there ever since. <laughs> that sounds wow. like a lot in a hurry. Holy cow. Yeah, right? There was a lot that got done. My first, my first two years of teaching are sort of a blur because I went from teaching, and also first year teaching is the hardest year ever, um, and you're teaching, and then I went from doing that to my master's degree at night and taking summer classes, kind of just, you know, pumped it all out, and then um, now, and then my third year, I was like, wait, what do I do after school when I don't have to go to class? Oh, that must, that must have been the best year ever. Yeah, and that's sort of how TPT, my Teachers Say Teachers thing, was born. And Instagram is because I felt I found myself, like, wanting another outlet for my creativity because I was so used to, like, thinking critically with school and things um, that I ended up, you know, in the teacher social media world. And it's been a fun place to be ever since. Yeah, and, and you know, like you were, you were talking about uh, the podcast and the people we've had on. That's exclusively where we've gone to find people to be on the podcast is just really Instagram. And it's been so incredible how how giving our community is and how willing everybody is to to share and, and to be a part of what's going on. That's been fantastic for us. Yeah, it's really it's really an amazing place. You know, you're ever having a bad day. You just go on and you see all these other people who are either sharing about their similar experience with that or having a really great day and doing something that just lifts you up and it's, it's a really great you know community outside my actual school community so I like I that all right so the second question we like to ask everybody is uh who was your favorite teacher and why was that person your favorite teacher it's actually my eighth grade social studies teacher mr agans um who also happened to be our DJ for all of our proms, which that was fun, and recently a friend's wedding, so that was crazy. Um, but he, thinking back on it now, um, he was really my first exposure, sort of like social justice within the classroom. Um, he taught us, you know, about everything from the Holocaust and used primary sources and showed us pictures to um, immigration and showing, you know, where people lived and how certain neighborhoods were formed based on, you know, societal um, sort of constructs. And we learned about like the Rwandan genocide and all these things that I look back now and I'm like, oh, wow. Like he really, he really exposed us to a lot of things that, you know, later probably took shape for, I know so many of the people that I went to school with are doing really amazing things. And I think he sort of laid the groundwork for that. Um, at such a young age, it's sort of a crazy thing to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's it's so, and that, you know, that's a question we wanted to get to later on is, you know, what is the role, especially in our society um, now of, you know, teachers talking about social issues. And I'm glad you brought it up because it's something we definitely want to bring up later. So um, yeah. what we'd like for you to do next is to finish um, these phrases. So I'm just going to give you a phrase and I'd like for you to, to finish it the uh, best you can. So the first phrase is okay. the value of a great teacher is. Well, the difference in their students' lives, the lives of they work with, and you don't always see the impacts that you have, but it, you, it's truly an impactful profession. 
Awesome. Awesome. That's a great answer. Okay. So the next one is the hardest part of teaching is? You, you log out at the end of the day and you go home and you feel like, okay, my email's in the morning or I, tomorrow, you know, it's due on Friday, this and that. But as a teacher, you take so much more home, not just even physical work. Like, yes, I sit on my couch and do work almost every night. That's my own personal problem. But, you know, you're you're thinking about the day, and it's not just like you're thinking about, oh, that project was really hard. It's like, why was so-and-so so upset today? This kid had a really tough day, or I really don't think this stuck with this child. And, you know, you're really, like, emotionally, it's hard to leave your work at work. And I think that's something that can become so taxing for teachers. Um, it's definitely a hard balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. So that was a long answer. <laughs> no, that's fine. Long answers are perfect. So the next one is the one thing you wish parents knew about teaching. Um, it's harder than it looks. It's very different than when you were in school. And to trust us, um, I think that there's so many amazing parents. I've been so, so lucky with the families that I've had. Um, but, you know, there are always times when you have to have a conversation that you don't necessarily want to have. A student's struggling and you think they need to be evaluated for something or so-and-so is having trouble with this um, or you notice this is happening and we don't want to have these conversations. So when we bring them to you and you're met with resistance, it's tough because, you know, we don't, we're always looking out for the best interest of your child. I think that's something I wish parents knew. And also, honestly, just that teachers, I can't speak for all teachers, but I think I speak for most teachers when I say we love your children as our own. Um, and, the things we are doing are only to benefit them. So I would say to trust us. That's something that, especially me, I'm like a relatively younger teacher. I think that was something harder for me when I first started out is to like really prove myself that, you know, I am here for your child and I know what I'm doing. Um, now now it's not as, um, not as difficult for me because I think I've had more years of experience under my belt, but... Definitely for teachers starting out, I think, you know, get the parents to trust you and know that you know what you're doing because you're very qualified to do what you do. And not as many jobs are as frequently questioned as teachers. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I guess this is, this is a question from someone that taught middle school and high school. Um, are, are the parents of kindergartners, I guess the word I would use, protective, are they... Are they looking over your shoulder more than they would be in the older grades? Um, for me, it's, that's tricky because I teach at a school where a lot of my kids come in in pre-K and they do two years of pre-K before coming to kindergarten. So a lot of them, you know, have already done the whole my child going to school sort of adjustment phase. Um, but I definitely find that with new parents, um, not new like not new parents, but new to our school whose children are coming to a more traditional kindergarten setting for the first time, I find that it takes, you know, that's definitely where you build the relationship and the trust because they have a million questions, they're emailing you or, 
you know, they want to chat with you at the end of the day. And I love building relationships with them, but it takes a little while to get them to sort of be like, okay, like I can let go. (laughs) So that's something tricky. Yeah. As a kindergarten teacher, that's something a little bit tricky. Yeah. I, uh, I don't, uh, I don't have experience with the kindergarten and, um, I, yeah, it's, that's just a question that's on my mind because it's such a, it's such a foreign world to me to have kids that young. So, I mean, Will, you could speak a little bit better to that since you had a daughter that went through kindergarten. Yeah, I'm going to say that. That's the only experience I've had. Um, and I really wasn't that parent. I mean, I think becoming, because I wasn't, I am an educator. <laughs> I relied on what my daughter brought to me and listening to her to determine what her teachers were doing. Yeah. So every day it was like, tell me what you learned today. What did y'all do? And we're rehearsing. Okay, well, show me what that looks like. Show me how you did that. And yeah. that kind of reinforced me so that when I did meet with the teacher, all I had to say was, look, I'm amazed. I love the fact that you're doing this. And, you know, and it was more of an open exchange versus a kind of peering over your shoulder. I taught GT um, for three years. And GT mm-hmm. parents almost that way, where they they want to know exactly what you're doing, how you're benefiting their students, being in their program, and I think that kind of lends itself to almost the same as parents who are just kids and just now entering kindergarten. Yeah. But my daughter also went to pre-K, so she was connected with my school district uh, for their staff uh, nursery uh, daycare. So it was already she was always exposed to the educational system and how to survive in a school system. So going into the pre-K and kinder for her was just a continuation of what she had been doing in daycare. So. Yeah, yeah. It does help to it does help to ease the transition a little bit, I think. But and I have no experience with middle school or high school parents, so I don't I don't know anything about that world. But yeah, I can see where being a teacher. Uh, and a parent is, you know, helpful in that whole transitional process. There are pros and cons to that, though. But. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So so last last phrase I'd like for you to finish. The most rewarding part of teaching is? Many rewarding parts. But I think is, especially in kindergarten, the growth that my students make and the pride that I see in their faces when – you know, they master a concept um, or they make a lot of progress and they're so proud of themselves for something that they didn't, you know, previously know how to do or they all come in and go, I can't read. Like, we're not going to learn to read. I can't read. And then they leave and they're reading and they're like, you know, you see the light in their eyes and they're so excited. And I have one little boy who came in knowing, you know, eight letter sounds and counting to 10. And now he's, you know, reading books and counting to a hundred and you're like, give him a high five and he gets this like shy little grin because he's so proud of himself, but like doesn't know really how to deal with it. It's, it's like truly is the most rewarding part. Oh, I feel like I'm still sometimes that, that kid that doesn't know how to take like a good high five when I do something good. Oh, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel for that kid for sure. Oh yeah. I, I feel you on that one. <laughs> All right, so uh, continuing on, um, we had talked a little bit, you know, about social justice and those things, and, and at the beginning of the podcast, we had talked about, you know, what our, our goal is, you know, to shine a, a positive light on education, but from your perspective, what is the state of education right now? Um, I think, I think 
think that's tricky. I think our education system is sort of in a strange state. It's hard because, you know, when you're part of the social media community, what you see, there's so many amazing educators out there who are doing really innovating things. They're advocating for themselves and their colleagues and their students. And then you look at, you know, the leadership and who's making the laws around education and who's creating standards and tests and all these things. Um, it's hard when the leadership isn't necessarily reflective of what teachers are doing in their classroom. Um, and I hope, my hope is that one day there will be more of a connection between teachers and lawmakers and, you know, sort of how you guys said, you know, you are, it's so, you're so used to seeing negative press surrounding education, but you want to, you know, expose the voices of teachers and these people who are doing really amazing things. Like, I hope that someday people will listen to teachers in the sense that, like, we really have amazing things happening in our classroom, and we're doing that are truly best for our students. And, you know, it's a long road because there's a difference between, you know, policymakers, and I know they have things that they need to stick to, but in the same sense, we do have really amazing things that are happening in our classrooms, and hopefully, you know, someday there will be more of a connection between the people who are on the ground floor and those who are higher up. Right, right. And it's just, it's, it's such a different, I've been, I guess I've enjoyed and both, you know, had my eyes open when talking from people, you know, like from yourself to Boston to Wilkie and I's experience in Texas, now back to my experience in Wisconsin. It's, Mm -hmm. it seems like it's basically the same version everywhere you go, which, you know, I think I had this kind of false sense that, you know, leaving, you know, big city Houston, urban education, coming back to, you know, rural, small town Wisconsin, it would be different, but it's, it's really not. I mean, it, we go through the same things I went through when I was in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's different for me because I actually teach in a private school, so I'm not as um, impacted with, you know, certain things, but I know my friends who teach in Boston public schools, I mean, they make double my salary and do double my work. And I don't even know if mentally I could deal with some of the things my best friend teaches, um, in a BPS school. And I'm like, wait, what? And then she'll, I'll say things to her, you know, how I eat lunch with my kids. And she'll be like, hey, you eat lunch with your kids. Don't you tell your union about that? And I'm like, I don't have a union, <laughs> but then, you know, she has so many other things that are happening. And I think it's just, it's crazy because yes, we are all dealing with, you know, a lot of the same issues all over, but in the same, in the same way, there's so many things that are so different, you know, from school to school or district to district. And it's crazy because you'd think it would be more, but also at the same time, you want to be able to do what works for your school and your population that you're working with. So it's kind of a tricky, a tricky balance, I feel like. So, so next question is, um, do you have a, a particular educational philosophy you su- subscribe to? I'm all over the place. Um, I think that my biggest, my educational philosophy was that it would be that learning should genuinely be fun. Um, I mean, think about as an adult, the things that you 
learn the most from, you're most passionate about, you take the most away from are really great experiences. And I think the same should go for education. Um, I try to keep things, you know, pretty engaging, pretty exciting. Um, I sort of, I love the notion that like a chatty, loud classroom isn't always, a, you know, a bad classroom. I think there's so much to be said from students learning from each other and organic discussion. Um, and I also think leading by example. Like if I am pumped about writer's workshop and we're going to do this and, you know, then my kids get really into it. We just started, we've been writing speeches in writer's workshop and I, you know, I got them talking about how a speech is not something that people are going to read. It's something that you're going to tell them. And, um, and we got up there and we talked about how when you give your speech, your words that you're saying are just as important as how you say them. And so I got up and I was like, we have a big problem. And I was like, you want the audience to go, oh, and all the kids every time now I do my speech to go, oh, and they get all into it. And you're like, for me, that is like, That's a, that's a mic drop right there. Like, yeah, deal, deal with this. <laughs> yeah, right. 
deal with that. So, so I'm I'm interested to know um, why you chose kindergarten. And like I said, this is from my this is a question I asked because I've had one experience with elementary school kids, and it was when I was subbing for my first year out of college, and I was so bad with second graders that when I was supposed to sub three days in a row, I told them I couldn't go back after the first day. So I'm interested to know why you chose kinder. Um. I think I really loved my school, um, and I did my student teaching at this school in first grade with the teacher who, you know, sometimes wants to kill me at the end of the year. Um, but I did my student teaching there. I really loved it. I don't know, like kindergarten, I worked with them in high school, and I really liked it, but I liked sort of the more independence of first grade. Um, but I moved down, and I worked with some amazing people, and the age group of kindergarten is hilarious, first of all. They are so funny. Um, but they're so much fun, and they're so eager to learn. And it's really an amazing year of growth. Um, they come in, you know, really basic, and they leave with all of these skills that they've acquired. And um, you really do get to see how much they've learned, and it's just a wild year. Um actually moving grade levels next year exclusive information that you guys are getting <laughs> so i'm about to you know turn my comfort level upside down and i'm actually moving to fourth grade which is the total opposite end of where i've been at. wow so there are new challenges in store for me <laughs> right first to fourth kinder to fourth. to fourth i mean kinder to fourth wow yeah. that's a big jump so I guess then, since you and we're flattered that you would give us such exclusive information. Um, <laughs> so you know, when you move to fourth, how do you, you know, plan on, or how do you think that fun plus engagement will will happen with those kids that are a little older? crazy because the group that's going in the fourth grade is my first kindergarten class um, that I ever taught. So it's kind of like come in full circle, but I think they sort of have an idea of me and who I am and it'll be interesting because I'm very used to working with younger kids and working with the team that I work with. Um, There's three kindergarten teachers and then there's actually only two fourth grade teachers so it'd be interesting to go from a dynamic of a three to a two. Um, but I think that you know we went. We actually met last week, and we went over some of the things that they need to do. And she's like, you know, we really like the way we teach math, but we don't really, you know, we could work on the way we teach spelling and grammar. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to make spelling and grammar fun? But that's when I go to Instagram and I find these other teachers who are doing amazing things. Um, So I think I'm going to try to learn from other people and see the ways that they make it engaging, but also kind of put my own twist on what we'll be working with. Um, So I I don't really know how I'm going to make it fun, but I will make it fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I just... 
I'm just so I'll be interested to talk to you like towards the end of next year. Well, we'll have to bring you back on and talk about how 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 the change was because I'm I'm super interested to see because I went from from sixth grade to sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and I thought that was a big jump, but. I think I think maybe, may, but I think the the K to four jump has probably got to be just as big, if not bigger, because I think just those, yeah, I don't know, elementary it boggles my mind. But we'll we'll definitely have to have you back on and talk about how that went at the end of next year. Yeah, if I survive, I'll be happy to tell you. I think I think you'll be okay. So um, we're teachers; we always survive. Yeah. Oh yeah, we yeah. always do. We can we can go through anything. We're unsaved at this point. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I'm interested. I had this question on there before I realized you taught at a private school. But, you know, private school or not, how do you strive to really – I know you mentioned the trust part with with parents, but how do you strive to build relationships with parents and your colleagues? Because I kind of understand, and, and I'm surprised Wilkie didn't jump in on here when you said your classroom was organized chaos – because I'm very much I'm very much the organized chaos person, and he's very much the opposite of organized chaos. So um, when we were on the same team, that 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 did not always rub him the correct way. So I'm interested to know, you know, with with that mentality and you know that operating system you have, how do you how do you build those relationships with your colleagues and with the parents of your kids? My first year was definitely very different than how I teach now. Um, taught with a person who had been there so there were three of us two of us were new and one was a veteran teacher who had been there for a while really had things down to a science um and it was a lot more of this is what we do and this is what you will do and so I kind of just you know took it in stride and did my best maybe cried a lot don't tell her that Um, (laughs) but but so that was sort of like a hey this is how this is what we need to get done type year. And then the, my second year teaching, she left and my teacher that I was my cooperating teacher from my student teaching in first grade, she moved from first down to kindergarten with us. We sort of like pulled her down and we're like, you have to come teach with us. It's going to be great. And so she had already known me from when I was a, you know, college student teacher coming in on a Friday morning after Thursday night. So she definitely knew my personality and how I could be, you know, a little bit of a little bit crazy, but also like I am very down to business when I need to be. Um so that definitely was a really good way to, you know, build a relationship with her. We already had a relationship, but obviously um we had to get to know how to work with each other on more of a level playing field not I'm the teacher you're the student teacher um so I think we really have like a team mentality on the kindergarten team my school is really big on you three are going to sit down and plan together and so we go through we have two planning blocks a week where we basically you know we say on Monday this is what we're doing in writers workshop this is what we're doing in our literacy centers this is what we're doing in math centers. On Tuesday, this is what we're doing for a read-aloud. This is what we're doing for this. So we sort of, you know, have to really build a relationship where you can compromise on what you have in mind for this and sort of take others' ideas. But it's also an amazing way to bounce ideas off of each other and say, this really worked for me. 
do you mind it? Would you guys like to try it? Or, hey, this didn't go so well for me. Well, how did you do this that was effective for your students? Um, so building relationships with my colleagues within my kindergarten team has been just an awesome experience because we do run it like a team. Um, this year we had a new teacher hop onto our team, which was a whole different learning experience for me because now the teacher that was my cooperating teacher, Kathleen, so she's the one who moved down, um, she went out on maternity leave. It was sort of me thrown into this, like, hey, you're the veteran teacher now. Uh, figure out how to be the leader of the group. Um, so that was the, something that I struggled with, was going from being, like, in a team where everyone was cohesive and, you know, I don't, I'm trying to think of the, not level or even or sort of equal to, you know, being the leader of a small team. Um, that was definitely something I had to, like, check myself every now and then and be like, okay, Heather, you need to chill. Um, not everyone needs to do things like you do things. But I've also, so that was a fun learning experience and also a good way for me to, you know, figure out that my teaching style doesn't always work for everyone. Um, and in the same sense, everyone else's teaching style might not always work for me. So having worked with a different group of people and a little bit, you know, flexible group of people that's gone through some changes, that's really helped me to sort of hone in on what works for me, what doesn't work for me, what works for them, when is it good for me to sort of do my own thing, you know, when should I push for this is a really great idea, let's do this, or, you know, step back from my this is what I think is going to work, but it's not really going to work type thing. Um, and also I've worked with the same para in my classroom for four years, so that has really helped me to build a relationship of working with someone super close. Um, her and I are night and day. I am very, you know, bubbly and in your face and energetic, and she's more laid back and go you know is a little more organized and she's like you know you taught me how to be a little more flexible and she taught me how to be you know a little more calm actually just like <laughs> to say that word she taught me to be more calm and so working with her definitely helped um me to sort of you know figure out a balance um yeah, so that's relationship with my colleagues. Um, relationships with my parents, I am pretty open with them. Um, I like to keep open lines of communication. I like to be approachable. Um, we do drop off and pick up at school every day, so I get a lot of face-to-face -face, um, contact with parents, which is really helpful in building relationships with them. Um you know, but I, we also do like a classroom Instagram where we post pictures of what's going on. So they're seeing what's happening in the classroom. Um, we have a newsletter that we send out every week. So I think just like really for me, keeping the lines of communication open with parents so they can be like, hey, this is bothering me. Can we talk about it? Or, hey, so-and-so had a really great day and I can, you know, say those things to them. And um, it helps to just, for me to have, you know, that communication where if there's an issue it's not like oh my gosh like you know the teacher's calling me or you know or if the parent's emailing me asking me a question I'm like oh my gosh I, this parent has a problem and you know so I think the open line of communication is something that's really key for me in building relationships with parents so will <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let you uh do the comeback on this one because there was a lot to digest right there okay 
Well, no, I mean, I think that you, I mean, our biggest thing is about relationships. I mean, that's the focus of my dissertation. And um, I think that's what makes the difference in the classroom. Um, I just had a, um, a visitor, a vis- student visit us who were one of colonized uh, students three years ago. And he came back and he said, you know, I, I, I tell people now that you two are my favorite teachers, not because you taught me social studies or you taught me math, because you all took an interest in me as a person. Yeah. And I think that that is so, so important. I mean, relationships is the one, is the one you learn it, it transcends every discipline, every department, no matter where you go. Everyone has to know how to be able to get along with each other. Exactly. And I think it's one of those skills that is overlooked. And most people, I mean, I know, for instance, I love engaging parents, but I know colleagues who would rather not engage mm-hmm. parents. You know, my thing is, I'd rather engage with you early so that when I call you and I have an issue, we're already partnered together in this. So it's not me trying to get to know you to tell you something bad that's taking place or to celebrate something. It's, hey, I'm just keeping you in the loop. And you you kept saying communication, communication, communication. And I, that's, that's one of my big seeds in schools. I believe culture, communication, and consistency makes powerful schools. And I think that when you do that, it really makes a big, big difference. I absolutely agree. I, I love that you said, you know, you like to get to know them early, so it's not just, you know, when there's an issue, you're contacting them. I, I totally agree with that. I think it's really important to, you know, be a partner. I like also use that word. I like the idea of being a partner with the parents. It's, you know, you're all in this together for their children, so I like that mentality. Right. Right, and maybe it works even with physical parents because now I, I need you to understand what ground we stand on. Even if you were going to try to be a difficult parent, you can't be. Mm-hmm. Because I've made you a partner. I've given you, I've defined a role for you. So now, whereas you had free reign to do whatever or say whatever, now you're my partner. We're partnering mm-hmm. together, and that makes a big difference. I love that. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> awesome. All right. So I was scrolling through your Instagram, which is, you know, a lot of what I do. And I saw your post where you talked about um, teachers getting real. So I, re- I would love for you to kind of expand upon why it's important for teachers to get real. I like the idea of being yourself on social media. And my family will tell me there is there's real life Heather and there's Instagram Heather. And I was like, no, I just think you guys don't interact with me like in a teacher setting as much as you think you do you guys see me when I come home to visit but my cousin is always on me about oh Instagram Heather but I don't want to be someone who has a personality for Instagram then after you know social media or who has a personality you know behind the scenes like for me I think it's important for teachers to show the great things that they're doing in their classroom but also the days that aren't so great because Everyone has them, and it's so easy to go on social media and think, like, oh, this person's perfect, or their classroom is this, or they never have problems, or they never feel stressed or struggle, and, you know, it's easy to feel alienated when you're, 
your life that you're living doesn't look like what you're seeing on the internet. And I think that's a crazy phenomenon that we have with, you know, how much social media is a part of our life. Um, So for me, I want to be real where the people who follow me or interact with me are like, okay, she's just like me. She has bad days. Her classroom is crazy. Yes, she takes a picture of the cute corner of her classroom, but, you know, she might have a stack of papers on her desk just like me. Or, you know, like, I had a super stressful week last week, and I actually, you know, normally I wouldn't be like, oh, I had a bad week because I don't want people to think I'm negative or whatever, but I, you know, I went on and I made a story about it, and I... Honestly, like over a hundred people commented or responded back to me, like to the point where I couldn't even get back to messages in time being like, thank you for sharing. I'm a first year teacher. Like I'm having these like stressful feelings. And I thought I was the only one who felt that way or people who were like, I've been teaching for 10 years and I still have these moments. Like, thank you for sharing or, and for me, I was like, okay, that's, you know, validated why. I am a little more transparent and I am a little more real on social media because I think it's so easy to get caught up and think you are not doing enough or you're not good enough or what you're doing isn't matching what you're seeing. But really, you know, there's Instagram is such a little tiny bit and, you know, it's carefully chosen photos to be on brand or, you know, different things like that. But I want you know, other teachers to know that you're not ever alone in what you're experiencing or the struggle or your bad days because we all have them. It's just that we don't always, you know, project them out for the world to see. Um, But I think it's, for me, it's really important to get that message across that, you know, people behind these accounts, like, I mean, I geek out over getting followed by, you know, someone who has so many followers. I'm like, oh, they're perfect, but really they're just normal people with normal lives and day-to-day jobs and feelings and experiences behind, you know, what you're seeing. And so I think the whole idea of being real is something that's very important to me. It's 100%. And it's funny that you say that because even, you know, we felt that when we were interviewing um, uh, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how uh, I felt and, when you guys, you guys <laughs> asked me and I was like, hello, I'm no Mr. D, but he did follow me on Instagram the other night. <laughs> And I had a, a meltdown. I was like, oh, my God. But, you know, but even with him, one of the things that he, he talked about with him was, was authenticity. Yeah. Is, 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 is maintaining that. And I think we're living in such a, a time where kids are, they're looking for something authentic among all the reality that they get. Uh, we're using air quotes when I say reality. Yep. They get, in, you know, in in the real in in the quote unquote real world, but we have to, as teachers, be so authentic with them that they understand that oh no, that's not real. This is what's real, mm-hmm. and we have to be that sense of authenticity for them so that they can actually see that the struggle is real. I mean, when you he even said it, when you have a bad day, it's okay to say I'm having a bad day. Yeah, I, I you know totally agree with that. I, rem- I remember being in the classroom, and I'm going back. This You're talking about you transitioning. I'm going from being an instructional coach to I'm actually going back into the classroom next year. Um, and I remember having those days where I would tell my kids, hey, look, today's not a good day, so here's what we're going to do. I need you to partner up. 
and I would give them a task to do. Not meaningless worksheets to just keep them quiet. They were still engaged, and they taught themselves, and they still did their thing, but I let them know, hey, I'm not myself today. We all have those moments. And I encourage kids, when you have one of those days, it's okay to come and say, hey, Mr. Law, I'm not having, I'm not having a good day. And then we can work out and see what can we do to make it fit for you so that you can get through this day. Joe to kind of reiterate I don't know if you followed his story over the weekend but like on his authenticity like he posted on his story that he had basically been thrown out of a bar for no reason and then you know had been harassed with homophobic slurs and I was just like man it it takes so much guts to to put that out there and he made sure that people knew that he wasn't like looking for pity or sympathy he just like he believes that it's important for that kind of stuff to get out there. And I was just so impressed by the fact that he was willing to do that. Yeah. He's seriously a rock star. I, I saw that too. And I was like, how could you ever not love him? But you know, and it, yeah. it's crazy because there are things that happen day to day that just, you would never know. And then people come out and they tell you that, you know, this happened to me and you're like, okay, wow, I really identify with what you're going through. And I just think that's such an important piece that, you know, can sometimes be lost in the internet world, you know? Right. Um, so. Yeah, and I was not I was not intentionally trying to segue to the next question, but it sort of perfectly segues to, um, <laughs> you know, the question about, you know, talking about social issues, whether it's talking with our kids or whether it's what we put on, on, on our social media or, or wherever it is. You know, what is the importance of that and, and how do you strive to, you know, take the right tact? Because there is a right way to do that and there is a wrong way to do that. Yeah. Um, I think on social media, um, I think that social media is a place where you're given sort of this platform to use your voice in a way that can be very impactful, um, whether that's making change or speaking out on injustices. And I think that, you know it's an amazing place to use your voice um, in the right way. And I think it's a really great place to, you know, get um, sort of, you know, get together with other people who have similar feelings as you or people who challenge the way you think. I definitely have, you know, learned so much on Instagram. I thought, you know, I thought I knew a lot about this. And then I read other people's experiences. I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, you need to check yourself and what you're thinking and how you're doing things and it's a really awesome place to learn um i think in the same sense there's a lot of people who give a lot of pushback and say teachers shouldn't be voicing their opinions and um i think yes and no to that i think for it depends on the age level and i think it's completely the way you go about it um i think for my students it's you know exposing them to things um not necessarily telling them 
this is what you should think or this is what you should believe or this is what's right and what's wrong. And I think this goes for older students too. It's more of, you know, providing students with information and experiences and allowing them to develop their own opinions based on that and to think critically about what they're seeing and, you know, um, just to get them familiarized with things. And I think so often it's, it's easy to get caught up in like what your mentality is. And it's, for me, it's definitely hard to, you know, think other people don't always think what I think. And, but as a teacher, you know, it's our job to, even if a student has a completely different opinion than you or a student's family in kindergarten, it tends to be, this is what they're hearing at home. Um, as students get older, you know, they have their own opinions that they're coming up with, but you know, just to get them to think critically about what's happening around them, you know, provide them the information and the skills and let them go with it in the way that they identify with. So I think, you know, going about it and, you said, you know, using proper tact. I think for me, it's more of, you know, exposing my students to things. And if they ask me questions, answering them in a way that they can get, you know, gets the gears turning for them. Um, but I think that it's important that we speak up on certain things, but in a way that is going to allow students to, you know, develop their own opinions on it. As much as I want to tell them to believe exactly what I believe, I know that is never going to happen, and I know that's not how the world works. But I mean, it's a hard thing to do as a teacher because so often you do have really, really strong opinions about things, and you know, someone might be staring back at you who thinks something totally different. But that's okay. That's how we learn from each other. And to tell you know, to tell your students that is the way we learn is to learn from each other and get people's opinions. So. I think for me, that's the, my feelings on, you know, voicing your opinion on social issues is to give them, you know, give them the information and let them run with it as they will. Will, you want to jump in here? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm, I don't want to jump on my social issues uh, so far. <laughs> so, because, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, right now there's a whole lot of topics right now swimming around that I dance around because of my position as a teacher. And I have to be very careful how I, um, what I post, what I say in public, you know, what I allow to be heard because a lot of it can be misconstrued as being one way or the other or drawing students toward one way or the other. And I, I, I share, I think I shared on the podcast once before that I had once had a classroom where I had a young lady who was Catholic, a young man who was Buddhist, and a young man who was Muslim. And we all sat down and we had a conversation about religion. Mm-hmm. And they brought it up and was willing to give up their lunchtime. And I gave up my lunchtime to have a conversation with them about it because it was a free exchange. We were not trying to proselytize to bring you to any kind of faith. You know, no yeah. one was drawing that. But we were trying to draw on the commonalities between what our faith all stood for. Yeah. And I think that in that exchange, every one of the things that one of the students said, he was like, ultimately, it's just being a good person. And, and I think that when you get to the nuts and bolts of everything that we do, that's the most most important and pertinent thing we can teach our kids is how to be a good person, how to be decent and good every human being that you see, despite your difference. Yes. 
So, um, but yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll take that role, Kyle. <laughs> All right. Well, I'd like, you know, like I said, I'm just trying to give you chances here. I haven't, you know, haven't had you on for a while. And I wasn't sure well, if you, you were. Say, I haven't been on for a while, so I'm really trying to hold my tongue because I have a lot that I can say because I've just been reading, reading, reading and researching. But I'm going to, I'll go back. I'll fall to the back. <laughs> Awesome. All right. You don't have to. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. So definitely, uh, we're I'm, I'm monitoring our time, and we're borderline almost at an hour. So we definitely want to be respectful of your time. So we'll we'll get to our wrap up questions, and and these questions okay. can be teacher based or just life based. So, what was the best advice you've ever been given, and who was the person that gave it to you? Um, I would say trust your gut. I don't know who's giving that to me. My mom has said that to me so many times. You know, if you think it's the right decision, my mom was never one to be like, this is what you have to do. She'd always let me make choices on my own. And whether I, you know, sink or swam, she kind of was like, you know, it was your choice. Ride it out. Um, But I think I constantly struggle with being an overthinker. So... Like, there's the, you know, the thing on the internet that's like, hold on, let me overthink about it. Like, that's me. Um, but I've learned to, like, to trust my gut because chances are your gut in- instinct is usually the one that's right. That would be my best advice. Okay. The the best thing you've read in the last 12 months? You can't ask me this question. I am, okay, I feel like a teacher failure. I really don't like to read that's okay i like to watch i like to listen but here's my problem is every time i open a book i fall asleep i can't read okay well then let's uh so then what do you what do you listen to Uh, because i don't actually read books either i listen to books so what are you listening to We'll, we'll call it that yeah listen i listen to i really honestly like for me when i come home and i want to like de-stress at the end of the day i know some people will sit down with a a good book for me i like to cook and listen to music i'm very much a musical person um or i'll listen to a podcast usually i'm listening to my fiance's podcast because i hear you know the back end of hear him talking on the other end so I want to hear what everyone else's um contributions are to that but I honestly like for me my de-stressing is more of a musical thing yeah well you might as well since we've been talking about you might as well plug your fiance's podcast on here you know give him a little (laughs) bit of love oh yeah so it's called what's next um it's him and four of his buddies from college who are former baseball players and Basically, they have taken on this idea of, like, what's next after you're done with the game and what do you do next and how do you direct the things that you're really passionate about and make them a career or something you do in your life. So um, that's his podcast. It's definitely fun to listen to. Any teachers out there who are, you know, want to tell their story, let me know. They're always looking for fun people to interview. But, yeah, so for me, it's like I have always been the one listening to what's going on on like, your guys end of the podcast i've never been on this side of it so it's kind of fun <laughs> yeah it is fun all right so um your proudest accomplishment today um this is sort of like a personal one um 
I've run two half marathons, which for some people, they're like, yeah, big deal. But for me, that is a huge accomplishment. I'm not a runner. It's very much, for me, it was a very much a mental thing. Um, you know, training and getting up on a Saturday morning when I didn't want to run nine or ten miles. Um, so I would say those two, well, two accomplishments. Running those were definitely my biggest um, accomplishment, personally. Nice. Nice. Yeah, you couldn't... I, I did one Tough mutter that was like 13 miles, and... With that, I said I would never run that far again. So I appreciate the fact that you've run two half marathons. Well, I watched the Boston Marathon this year and was like, yeah, every year I go, oh, next year I'm going to run the marathon. Like, Heather, you could barely run 13, never mind doubling that. It's never going to happen. Right, right. All right, so... So um, I commend people who do that. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, before we ask you the last question, for people who want to check out what you're doing, follow you, connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, so I would say Instagram is probably where I do most of my um, social media things. So I'm at the primary party. Um, and from there, you can email me, primaryparty at gmail.com. Um, you know, connect with me on there. Um, I think Instagram is probably the best way. I do have a Facebook, the primary party, but I don't, I'm not an avid Facebooker, more of an Instagrammer. Such yeah. a millennial thing to say. Oh, yep. Oh, and then, okay, okay, Will, get your millennial shot in on me. I know it's no, coming. Hey, 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 I, I spend more time on IG now than I do on Facebook, so. Uh huh. I, I have to, I've, been, I've, been, I've been swayed over to the other side. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. So. Um, yeah, like we said, though, Heather, we, we super duper appreciate uh, your time and um, the conversation. It was lively. And, and we definitely I don't it doesn't have to be the end of next year. We can have you on again before that. But for sure, at okay. the end of this time next year, when you're getting done with fourth grade, we want to have yeah. you back on. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so last question, um, what do you want your legacy to be? teacher that made her students feel loved um I you know if they don't remember anything I teach them they do um but I hope that they remember that they genuinely are loved they matter and that they can go out and change the world and I think that that's something I from kindergarten on I really want them to know that they are the future and that they can make the changes that they want to change um and just to remember that they are loved, even on their worst days, we all still love them. <laughs> awesome. Well, Heather, again, thank you so much for your time. We hope you uh, enjoy your, gosh, you still got like three weeks left, don't you? <laughs> but it'll, it'll be fun for me. It'll be just fun. Awesome. So I hope you guys are enjoying your summer. <laughs> awesome. Well, th- again, thank you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on.